Welcome to RNFM Radio, Nursing Unleashed. We're your hosts, Kevin Ross and Keith Carlson, and we bring you inspiring interviews with a wide array of nursing experts, innovators, and entrepreneurs. We're glad you're here. So welcome and enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of RNFM Radio on the Pulse of Nursing. Without a doubt, this is the platform where we'll always discuss the latest news, trends, and hot topics in the world of nursing and healthcare. Our dynamic guest list, both past and present, spans the whole spectrum from nurse authors, bloggers, speakers, and entrepreneurs. These are the leaders and thought provokers in the industry, and we're thrilled to be able to bring them to you right here with us on RNFM. Again, welcome. I'm Kevin Ross here in my studio in Colorado. My fellow co-host Keith Carlson from New Mexico is also here with us. Keith, as always, it's a pleasure to be here with you tonight, sir. How are things in your studio? Thanks, Kevin. Things in my studio are great, and I'm I'm calling in tonight from sunny Santa Fe where the juniper is flying in the wild wind. Everyone is rubbing their eyes, coughing, sneezing, and suffering. Otherwise, everything is great. So I'm happy to be here, and we have a great guest tonight who we'll tell you about in a few minutes. And I wanted to mention that this is episode number 55, so we are climbing up. We're now at number 55. There's great guests to come that we'll tell you about later in the show. And speaking of being connected with us, Kevin, can you tell people how to get in touch, how to listen in, how to call, and all of that sort of thing? You bet. And, of course, if you're listening to us live, then you found us, and welcome. We are here on Blog Talk Radio, and, of course, if you just search Blog Talk Radio on RNFM, you'll find us. And, again, like I said, if you're listening to us, then you're here. I, for once in quite a while, have the chat room open over on Blog Talk Radio, so if you're just hanging out, listening to the show – Scroll down a little bit, and then you should find us there, or at least me, hanging out. Um, Of course, we have been primarily using TweetChat, and if you don't know about that, well, I'm just going to tell you about it. If you head on over to TweetChat.com forward slash room forward slash RNFM radio, and you just sign in with your uh, handle and password, you should be connected to the TweetChat over there. Of course, if you use an aggregator like Hootsuite, you can certainly put in the hashtag RNFM radio. Of course, that's all one word. And if you're not listening to us live right now, you can find us archived on Blog Talk Radio and, of course, over on iTunes. So if you open up your iTunes application and search under podcast, go up under the search bar and all one word, no spaces, RNFM Radio, you'll find us there. And, of course, we can't uh, forget our friends over at ProMed Network, over at ProMedNetwork.com forward slash RNFM Radio. Our feed is usually up there within minutes after the broadcast, and we really appreciate their support and willingness to put our show on their site. 
As always, Keith and I welcome the opportunity to speak with you, have comments, questions come in on the air, or if you just want to listen, and if you don't have a browser open, just go ahead and call in on that number, 347-308-8064. And of course, as always, we'll give you a roundup of the guests that will be on our show coming up after this particular show. And that's about it. Great. Well, thank you, Kevin. That was a great recap. And we're going to move on to our guest of the evening, who we have been very excited about and who, I must say, has been doing an excellent job herself promoting this episode on Twitter and Facebook. We really appreciate it. A lot of our guests go out of their way to make sure their friends and colleagues and supporters know about their appearance on the show. So it's really wonderful. Now I'm going to be introducing Juliana Paradisi. She's a registered nurse, an award-winning artist, a writer, and in the nursing field, she specializes in oncology and is also a cancer survivor herself. Her paintings and installations have appeared on the cover of the American Journal of Nursing, as well as in Scrubs Magazine, and in publications and galleries throughout the Pacific Northwest. She is the author of the blog jparadisirn.com, which has been recognized in the Clinical Journal of Oncology Nursing. She also writes a weekly blog about creativity in nursing for The Onc, .org, an online community of oncology professionals. Her stories, Icarus Again and Voyagers, appear in the anthology New Lives, Nurses' Stories About Caring for Babies, published by Kaplan Publishing in New York City. One of her essays, The Wisdom of Nursery Rhymes, was published in the Reflections column of the American Journal of Nursing in February of 2011, and BlogHer has featured Of Med Errors and Brain Farts, a J. Paradisi RN post. Her website is jparadisirn.com, and she's appeared as a guest on Doctors Radio, Radio MD, and now she can add RN FM Radio to her list of media appearances. Jay Paradisi RN finds inspiration where science, humanity, art converge. A nurse for 26 years, she has worked in pediatric intensive care and neonatal intensive care before making her transition to adult oncology. She lives with her husband David in Portland, Oregon. And Juliana, welcome to RNFM Radio. Well, thank you, Keith and Kevin, and uh, thanks so much for the great uh, introduction. Um, I have to say, you guys, I have been really looking forward to this show. Um, you're wonderful just to talk to, but your organization and the way you have put this whole episode together has been just a joy to work with. And uh, I just want to thank you for just even right to this point. It's been a lot of fun already. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Well, I guess we can hang up now and I'll feel really good about it. <laughs> I, I'm actually blushing on, on air right now. I know you can see oh. it. It's just glowing. But I appreciate yeah. that. We appreciate that. Thank you so much, yeah. Juliana. That's yeah, well, you're welcome. Right. So, Juliana, um, you and I spoke a number of months ago and had a really nice connection on the phone after, I guess, we made a connection on social media first, like most of us do these days. And... I had told you that I was an art school dropout and later became a nurse, but it sounds like you've gone the opposite direction, correct? You you were a nurse first and then entered the realm of creativity and art? That is correct. Um, I always had dabbled in art, but um, 
coming from a working class family, it just wasn't considered something that you would aspire to as a career. And so it never really occurred to me to be an artist, you know, to that I could possibly earn a living doing that. And um, through a series of life choices, I ended up being uh, going back to school as a nurse, uh, graduated in 1987. It's been about 26 years now that I've been practicing nursing. And um, it, it took a couple of changes in my life to kind of bring me back around to the art thing and the writing thing, which has been really wonderful. Hmm. So how did how did your beginning of your nursing career evolve to allow you the space to begin to even think about the creative realms? How did that happen? Boy, that's a great question. Um, maybe even backing it up, I'm not sure how I lost the uh, thought about creativity and making art. You know, I, I had drawn pictures all, er, since I could hold a crayon and started writing uh, probably about third grade. Um, and somewhere along the line throughout life, that just kind of was shed away. Um, it came back to me, basically, I, I had been working in pediatric intensive care for about 15 years. Um, and a couple of years before I left that practice, um, I became a, a, a cancer patient. I, um, I was diagnosed with uh, stage to breast cancer, and um, that kind of brought my life to a grinding halt, uh, as I knew it, <laughs> for that time. And um, it was kind of during one of those chemo fatigue moments, I'm laying with my head uh, on the sofa with my little bald head, staring at the ceiling and thinking, gosh, you know, if this is the last 10 years of my life, what is it? that I want to be doing, you know, uh, and I should backtrack uh, at that time uh, based on the pathology of my tumor, the oncologist had suggested that there was a potential of 32% death within 10 years with the type of tumor I had. And so I took that really to heart that um, having been a pediatric intensive care nurse, I knew some people only live for a few hours, a few minutes, you know, a few years. And um, that kind of helped keep me in a perspective that, okay, you know, you're an adult, you've had some life experiences at least that these children didn't even get. But um, I thought, you know, if this is 10 years, what do I want to be doing? Am I doing what I want to be doing? Is my life serving me the way I'm living it? And um, it came, two things came to my mind. And, and one was that I wanted to fall deeply in love and be deeply loved. And I wanted to be an artist. And uh, fortunately, I'm 14 years out from my diagnosis, I'm disease-free at this point. If I uh, should record, actually be probably a new cancer. And I held on to that uh, wish that I, I would do that, and um, I pursued art quite vigorously. And so that whole thing got me back in and reacquainted with a part of myself that I had kind of shut down for quite a while as a nurse. Wow. Well, well, thank you for sharing that very personal aspect of your journey. We really appreciate you being so transparent and vulnerable with us on the show. We really do appreciate that. I think our listeners also... Yeah, go ahead, Kath. No, no, and and I wanted to kind of ask the the global question, of course, personal for you, Juliana, and then sort of the global you. How do you rediscover the you with the cancer diagnosis? 
You know, um, it, it sounds kind of absurd, but my experience now that I have transitioned into outpatient oncology nursing, um, a cancer diagnosis makes you get very real very fast. And, um, you know, you talk about transparency. Uh, when you really truly face the fact that you're going to die someday, that this isn't just some fairy tale that they've been telling you and you really can't connect with, a cancer diagnosis connects you with that reality very quickly. And, um, you know, I, I think you've got different choices to make. You you can be afraid and you can shut down out of fear and, and just focus inward on, on the fear. You can choose, uh, as many cancer patients do, I don't think I'm unique in this whatsoever, that we're going to take that fear and push against it and, and open up and get real, very real with ourselves, with the people in our lives. And um, I, I don't know how else to say it. You know, our cancer survivors have these conversations among ourselves all the time. <laughs> you know, we just say it as it is and, and learn to do that. And it's, it's one of the gifts of um, understanding that you're not going to live forever is that every day becomes really precious and you hold on to it. And um, I, like I said, I don't think I'm unique in that respect. I think there's many, many cancer uh, survivors that feel this way and act on it. Right. I think that's a very common reaction to people who've been living with cancer, conquered cancer, or facing a new diagnosis. So I can really appreciate that. And I'm assuming that it has also informed your work in oncology, not to mention your work as an artist and a, as a writer. Is that, is that the case? Um, yeah. Uh, the first art show I was actually ever in that was juried into was actually um, a Komen Foundation art show. And uh, I just sent in slides of a few paintings I had done around that theme of, of breast cancer. And surprisingly, they took all four uh, paintings uh, for the very... And actually, one piece was a sculpture um, called Kaboom. And they took all four of those pieces for this really very uh, amazing art show that they had done. Uh, there were artists internationally uh, from all over the nation had contributed work, so I was very honored to be part of that. Um, I, but, you know, um, I, I kind of have moved beyond that as far as imagery is concerned. Um, I, I think I needed to get a little bit out of my system, but I've been much more interested in uh, nursing imagery as a uh, way of communicating about our profession and what we do, something a little broader, a little more general um, speaking. So um, there's been some work. I have some collages on, on the breast cancer thing, uh, but I've kind of moved on from that. And I'm, I'm lucky that I've been able to. You know, the fact that I'm not living with chronic illness is a blessing, and so I've kind of moved forward. Right. And we we hopefully our our intern Tara will be tweeting out a few of your images now. Though people can also go to jparadisirn.com to look at some of your images. I'm looking right now at the page that has from cradle to grave the color white, some of which were mm. featured in the print version of Scrubs magazine. And there's an image here that I especially love. 
think it's one of my favorites. It's sometimes my surgical mask feels like a gag. Graphite, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's graphite and oil stick on paper. And I love this image, and I know people can buy it from your website. And could you speak to that particular image? And maybe Tara can tweet it out momentarily. But I'd love to hear what you have to say about this particular image. Yeah, that one, I have to say that that's one very near to my heart as well. Um, it, it, it Of this series, I believe I'm looking through, I believe that was the last one I created um, in this particular series. There were like eight images. Um, the series is based on every, uh, every ceremony or event in my life that as a woman I've had to wear the color white. And of course... Um, every now and then returning nurses into the white uniform of raises its head as, as an option in hospitals. And this particular image went beyond just the color white for me. And I think, you know, it was one of made after a week at work where things happen. And nurses are, we are so bound um not just by HIPAA regulations, which was actually created to protect patients from being fired from their by their employers. For um, it, it's to prevent employers from going to the insurance companies that carry their their uh, benefits and asking them who who is the person that is increasing their risk pool costs. So we know, though, as nurses even though HIPAA is to protect people with their employer and, and their very, very personal information, we are so guarded all the time of what we're able to say at the workplace and outside of it. Um, there, there's times that things are going on within the workplace that you just have to kind of keep it under wraps because it's not professional to speak it out loud in the patient care area. Um, there's things going on maybe with a patient situation that you have to handle gingerly and respectfully, but you can't say exactly what you want to say because of, you know, I don't want to use the word retribution, but simply it's not professional. You know, I mean, sometimes our our employers are right to say don't, don't do that. And, but there are days and times when you feel like you're gagged a bit. <laughs> and um, the imagery of the, the surgical mask was the one that came to mind of, you know, having to put a mask on uh, to cover what you want to say to prevent yourself from saying something that, that might not be uh, wise to, to speak of at that time. Well, you know, Juliana, this is a really uh, great thing that you've been able to be plugged into your creativity. And obviously cancer diagnosis, it's a big game changer in your life. You know, at the time of diagnosis, it seems obvious that you're the one who needs the most support. But what can you do to help your family and your friends find some footing, their own footing, to best support you? And and again, obviously you've plugged into your creativity. Um, you know, where do they begin? Well, you know, not that, that's a very good question, Kevin, because I've seen other people going through um, a cancer diagnosis that oftentimes their friends and family have no idea how to help, and certainly the the person in the, the lost in the crashing white waves of, of noise um, 
doesn't even know how to begin to explain what they need or where to start because it's so overwhelming to hear some of the information about yourself. Um, the best thing you can do is is to simply make phone calls to the person or if they're in your family and just sit with them and ask them what you can do. If they're overwhelmed and they tell you, I don't know, I just don't know, just be with them, you know, hang with them. Um, someone asked me one time, you know, well, should you make a joke or should you try to lift their spirits? And I will caution people, um, cancer survivors, complain universally about someone making a joke about their cancer. So I would caution someone that wants to use that tactic unless you know the cancer patient extremely well and you can predict exactly how they will react. Refrain from humor unless they start being humorous themselves and be uh, cautious with it. Uh, follow their cue. Um, uh, someone that you know very well can change quite quickly under a lot of duress and stress. And um, you don't want to be that person that said that one awkward thing that they remember for the rest of their life that you said to them <laughs> at their moment right. of need. <laughs> and, and we've all made you know, faux pas in that regard. And we've all said things that, oh, gosh, I can't believe that came out of my mouth. I know better. But um, simply listening. I, I, for my own part, I was a single mom at that time. And so, you know, I came home after my diagnosis, basically, you know, to my own home by myself with my dog. And it's like, well, now what? Um, I, I just have to say you cannot have better friends than nurses when um, calamity strikes because the nurses that I was working with at that time just organized around me and, you know, they they hired someone to sh cook meals for my freezer so I would have food. <laughs> you know, they were wor very worried about me not eating. And um, my mom, my sister, my family, my brother and dad, everybody, you know, was just fabulous uh, calling me regularly and, and checking in, visiting. And um, I have to say, I, I almost had to leave messages, you know, I'm, I'll get back to you when I can, leave a voicemail, because it was almost overwhelming how much help I received. And um, it was particularly interesting because I, I'd only been living in of the Pacific Northwest maybe 10 years when that occurred. And I didn't realize how many friends I had developed in that short period of time, and the majority of them were, were nurses. Mm. Thank you so much, Juliana, for, for sharing that. And, and really, this was sort of the, the global um, idea here, the question uh, really about how you ended up where you are right now. And again, being plugged into your creativity. Uh, because, again, it's, you know, for some or for, for many of, you know, cancer patients, taking that energy, that negative energy and repurposing it in some way so that it's therapeutic for them. And I'm just yeah. thrilled to look at your art and, and see the creative expression in your writing and the, the pieces of art that you have that we're actually now tweeting out, I believe. Tara, thank you so much for tweeting that image out that, that Juliana was talking about just a few moments ago. And Julie, I wanted to chime in here too and say that that it seems like you have a number of various gifts to bring to your patients, but also to your colleagues and to the nursing community at large, which 
we're members of, actually, because you've had an impact on both of us already, that you're exploring the intersection of art, science, nursing, and like you say, humanity and creativity. And it seems like you're accomplishing many things with your work. One, your writing, which I find very powerful, and I hope to read more of it in the coming weeks and months, and also your images. And one thing that you write about and one thing that you and I spoke about was taking control of images of nursing in the media and that nurses are portrayed in a particular way by the media. And we could talk about this for hours, I'm sure. But (laughs) how do you see your work as an artist and a writer as well? I'm going to use both of those right now. How do you feel that fits into that notion of reconfiguring and taking control of our image out there in the world? Well, boy, you're right. We could go on and on for hours about that, Keith. um, We could. Um, see if I can simplify this. <clears throat> Nurses have been unhappy with our public projection forever. And, of course, I didn't really become aware of it until I became a nurse. And, you know, there's some wonderful watchdog organizations out there uh, run by nurses that have done a fabulous job um, raising consciousness uh, among nurses and, you know, among the public that, you know, these stereotypical images that we see of nurses where we're handing supplies to doctors while they do all the hands-on care, um, while we sometimes, you know, if you you think about the the Ken Kesey version of Nurse Ratchet, not the blogger, but the actual character that the name comes from, you know, and and her abusiveness towards patients and her manipulative uh, use of psychology to to harm people, from the you know the, the course of the sexy nurse stereotype that everyone sees every Halloween, um, I think we've reached a saturation point. We're all very aware of of these. Oh, and, and let me mention because I've had some male readers uh, say, you know, what about the male nurse too? And that's always hard because there's nothing wrong with a, a, a male nurse or a man in nursing who is also gay, but to stereotypically label a man in nursing as gay is where the the crunch comes the rub for for um, our my male colleagues um, so we're, we've reached a saturation point where all of us nurses I think we have a, a pretty hair trigger response when we are um, co- confronted with these images um, they're not changing for all of our reaction, for all of the negative press and all, we get upset on the blogs and Twitter and we write letters and we complain, it's not changing. And I think what we are not connecting is that the public can't change the image. They're not familiar with what we do. They don't know because their image of what we do is based, A, on what they watch on TV, read in books, see on the movies, and um, think about then and be a more nuanced image for them. What they a lot of people really, really try lay people to latch onto is their perception of a nurse from the patient's viewpoint. So, um, what imagery they don't get from the media, they develop if they've had the uh, misfortune to be hospitalized or, or needing frequent care of nurses. 
And so, again, that perception is tempered by the fact, usually if you're in the hospital, you're pretty ill or you're going through an emotionally unstable situation, you know, whether it's illness or even the excitement of a birth, and you may not be really plugged into what you think you're seeing your nurse doing or understanding what you think you're seeing your nurse doing. Um, So, again, the stereotypes don't get changed because you had a nice nurse or not a nice nurse. Your nurse was an angel and, you know, was very kind to your family member or your nurse was a real bitch and, you know, didn't ever answer the call light. And so, again, these stereotypes don't get changed. They're perpetuated. The way to change this is nurses need to tell our stories, but not just tell stories related to patient care. We need to tell what we do. And we need to uh, take control of that image quite clearly by speaking up. And and there's a huge movement. I'm not the only nurse saying this. Um, This radio show, its purpose, I think of one of the main purposes it serves is giving nurses a platform to speak from. Um, There's many nurse writers and artists that are doing things. But what I would like to see is to go beyond this and not be a nurse writer, simply be a writer. And take our nursing experiences, and why aren't we writing screenplays and making documentaries about what we do? Um, uh, We could be writing novels. And it it shouldn't be work that's regulated solely to um, the nurse audience. We already know what we do. We don't need to tell one another what we do. We we all know where all the pitfalls are. What we need to do is find our voice in order to make, well, why can't we make a TV show that talks about a nurse that is actually a regular human being? She's not drug addicted. She's not doing, I don't know, whatever Nurse Jackie's up to these days. I haven't watched in a while. (laughs) Why can't we have nurse characters that are real, that have internal dialogues in their head, that are dealing with sick family members at home and dealing with things that are going on and coping with them and, you know, are, are there in the middle of the night when the patient codes and maintains the airway until the code team arrives or the physician you know, comes home in from home or wherever. I mean, there is a lot of stuff there. You know, less invisible than us are the respiratory therapists, the pharmacists, the you know, the, the unit secretaries. Whoever does a show with a unit secretary in it. You know, the, the hospital environment is, is so not real. And again, and our stories are always told in relationship to our relationships with a physician or with a patient. We're never just saying who we are. And I, I think that's going to take a lot of creativity on our part um, to develop those characters that are well-rounded and tapestried and um, have the depth of dr- that brings drama into a book, into a movie, into a TV show. Um, you know, well, I'm Julie, I would, oh. what I was going to say, I would take this opportunity to, uh, if you haven't yet, we need to connect you with Carol Gino. Uh, author of The Nurse's Story. She's been on our show a couple of times. And uh, she's often talking about these things. And I think Keith and I, we could take it upon ourselves to connect the two of you. She would be a wonderful resource to talk to about that because you're definitely on that level, that avenue that she is on as well. Um, and and I appreciate her insight just as much as yours as well this evening. Um, 
But what I, I did want to go back to briefly is the perpetuation in regards to creating barriers for men to enter uh, the nursing profession. Of course, there was something that, that Keith and I were, were tweeting out, and I got it from the yoga nurse, Annette Tersini, uh, the yoga nurse, regarding uh, the the percentage of men in nursing, and I think we're not even at 10%. We represent something about uh, not even 10% of the nursing community in the in this profession. Right, right. And I think, you know, part of the barriers, you know, the perpetuation when we, when we talk about these stereotypes is oftentimes men, I and I'll say this, I'm a man and a nurse, that I think we might be afraid of the level of intimacy that we could be getting into when it comes to our patients. And and I'll have to say this, I've uh I've seen that on entry or resistance to entry into a nursing program, but I'll tell you my experience as a nurse working in one of the toughest ICUs in the country meeting uh men that are well, I don't think they would mind to say they're big and burly, ex-marines, ex-navy and they are some of the most compassionate people yeah, that yeah. have are, are just out there providing you know these supports to our patients. And uh, again, I think we definitely need to bring down those barriers, and, and through writing, that will help. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I, uh, surprisingly, or maybe not so, uh, I've, the majority of the men I have worked with in nursing have been uh, neonatal nurses or uh, ICU nurses, and we had uh, several in uh, the pediatric intensive care working with the kids. And to my knowledge, all of them were family men. They they were married. They had kids. And, um, I, in fact, I learned a French braid one time. We had a, a male, a ma- I hate to say male nurse. Nurse is, not, is a non-gender specific term. But we had a nurse who happened to be a man come up and float with us, and he was a very experienced ICU nurse. And he helped me um, wash my patient's hair. She had been a trauma patient, and the last thing anybody had done was take care of this little girl's hair. And we washed it in the bed, and he combed it out, and he taught me how to French braid this little girl's hair. And he knew how to French braid because he had a couple little girls of his own. His wife was also a nurse. And on his days to get the kids to school, he did the kids' hair just like his wife did. And um, it was very touching to to watch a very compassionate person do this for this child. But more so than for the child was, can you imagine how the family felt? This was on a night shift. To come in in the morning and their kids been laying on this bed with dirty hair for a week and they've been so worried about whether they would survive or not and to come in and to see that someone had taken that time and and care to wash their hair and make their little girl look like she did before um, for them and it was one of the most compassionate things I've I've witnessed um, in nursing man or woman um, to do for a patient and uh, I'll, I'll never forget that well, that's a lovely image, and I really appreciate hearing about a male nurse uh, or a nurse who's a man uh, doing something so compassionate and so compellingly, I don't know what we'd say, compellingly human with a young mm-hmm. patient. And that, that is a really wonderful image to take with us. And I've, I've just thinking about your images and looking at some of the images on your site, I'm curious about 
some of the images of nurses here. We did talk about the one called Sometimes My Surgical Mask Feels Like a Gag. And we did just tweet out, thank you, Tara, one of the images that's called, I think, The White That Binds. And it's this Uh, group of this group of nurses, um, I guess it's kind of almost like a pinning ceremony, I assume. And I know, I see that most of them seem to be female, and we can talk about the male-female thing sometime. But what I'm most curious about is, at this moment, how nurses have reacted to these images and what you feel these images actually mean to some of the nurses who see them and what, what they've said to you or what they've felt from looking at them. Mm-hmm. They've um, actually been received quite well. Um, you know, this series was published in, in Scrubs magazine, and I was contacted by one of their editors and, and asked they, asking permission if they could uh, publish some of my work. And they, they chose to put this particular group um, in the print version. The uh, As you can see on the, on the website, a couple of them have sold, and... The ones that have sold have sold two nurses. Um, they, they tend to ring um, quite a, they strike a chord for the nurses that have reacted and given me feedback on it. And the, um, the one that you're, you're describing, the white, the binds, it is in fact a pinning ceremony, and that is the secondary title is a pinning ceremony. And if you look at the fourth character in the very back that's not wearing a cap, that is my little version of a, a man in nursing there, and, and uh, I, I put him in there because when we had our ceremony, our pinning ceremony years and years ago, we had, um, I think, five men in our graduating class, and we couldn't figure out what they would do, and the rest of us had to do our capping ceremony. And we were supposed to wear our caps all that second semester and the men weren't going to and we just were like, why do we have to wear these? So um, the pinning ceremony was very popular um, image. And let's say I kind of lost track of the question, how are nurses reacting to it? That, you know, just really well. I, I get requests for prints and I'm, I'm considering actually starting up an Etsy store on my site and putting some of these images perhaps on like mugs or Christmas ornaments or something like that so that Mm. uh, more people can have access to them at a more affordable price. Um, Oh, that's great. That's a ceremony was one, you know, that I I think that would translate really nice to some kind of an ornament and make a nice gift for um, a nurse. And, you know, as opposed to like the angel, (laughs) the the perennial angel nurse, you know, (laughs) Yeah. Well, and Julie, I wanted to chime in there, too. If uh, by chance, I don't know, don't want to put the pressure on, of course, we should be celebrating nurses every day. But we are on the heels, or at least uh, very soon, we're going to be celebrating nurses uh, in just a couple of months. And if there is something that RNFM can help you promote or put out there via our blog and point our listeners and our audience in that direction over to Etsy, then we can certainly do that. I mean, I think what a wonderful gift to share with another, you know, with another nurse, in in uh, investing in your art for them, I, I love this. Well, art. well, thank you, Kevin. I really appreciate that. That that uh, I will definitely, if I end up moving forward with this, I will definitely let you guys in on it and, and know what's going on. Is uh, 
just okay. you know, it, there's so many opportunities to take the art somewhere, and there's so little time it feels like. <laughs> but yeah, right. I would like to make these certainly something that's a little more affordable that someone can have, and um, and something that's a little more unique than a print. I don't know, the print things are nice, but they tend to feel more like posters to me after a while, mm-hmm. rather than you know a serious piece of art. Now, I would wanted to ask you a question about this one piece again, the one that we uh, tweeted out a few minutes ago, The White That Binds. It's a group mm-hmm. of nurses at a pinning ceremony. And what did you, what were you trying to communicate with this? And, and I'm looking at the image and also thinking about the title, The White That Binds. What were you trying to say? You know, it's, it's been such a while since I've made it. I think I made this like in 2010. I'm trying to think back exactly what I was thinking. Um, I know I wasn't really happy with the concept of putting nurses back into a traditional white uh, nursing uniform that came up. And um, and I think this was a little bit of a reaction to that, and, and that's where you've got some of the elements that are a very traditional, old-fashioned nurse and the ones that I've drawn that are, you know, questionably <laughs> looking like nurses or not. Um, I, I tend to, to shy away from color coding, and that was what this entire series was actually about, was my reaction to color coding. And um, the artist statement that goes with this, this, this series, by the way, was shown in a mainstream gallery here in Portland, Oregon. It was not shown as a, a, a nursing exhibition. It was shown just as regular art in a um, regular gallery. Um, I, I was just trying to talk about the color white being... Um, it's traditional, but it, it also has these deep religious overtones to it. And um, I was raised a Catholic, and so, you know, I was put in the white christening gown, and then there was First Communion, and then there was a couple weddings because I needed to practice one. And um, it just went on and on. And if you think about, this is a little bit more feminist than also sticking up for my male counterparts, but if you think of professions that were white, it's like milkmen, uh, butchers, ice cream vendors, you know, uh, it's a summer white for the Navy. There's professional people tend not to wear uniforms. And I was kind of getting to that angle that as nursing rises up as a profession and it's I mean, with advanced degree nurses, nurse practitioners, so many of these things that we are no longer necessarily directly at the bedside and certainly not relegated to dumping bedpans and and walking patients up and down the halls. Um, perhaps we're outgrowing the concept of a uniform for a group of people, a career that, that really wants to stake its claim as a profession. Um, you know, they, they they keep saying, you know, people patients can't tell if uh, if a nurse if their nurse is a nurse or if they're the housekeeper, they can't tell by what they're wearing who who the person in the room is. Well, make the name tags bigger, put, uh-huh. put RN on it prominently because studies have shown 
that if you color code, very few people can differentiate between the different shades of blue. Very few people can differentiate between shades of green. And I'm telling you, if you put a nurse in navy blue and you put a housekeeper in teal, perhaps, your patient still isn't going to be able to remember the color coding and what color corresponds to what person in the hospital. I mean, think about all the medication files we use. Right. (laughs) I couldn't agree more with that statement, Julie, because I did a video post a couple of weeks ago, maybe even up to a month ago, regarding the white scrubs and trending back to that. And I said, you know, if we if we color code, we're we're literally going to have to put something on the on every wall in every hallway, because it's not just the patient but the family members. If we, because we don't know who we're looking at. Yeah, the, exactly. you know, if you're an employee of the hospital, okay, purple means nurse or RN, but they don't know that. I exactly. mean, it, it could it could be their first time to the hospital. You know, right. So, but but don't get me started about the teddy bears and hearts and and flowers and um, cartoons. Yeah. Uh, don't well, get me started there. And I might make some enemies out here. No, that's, that's okay, Keith. That's, that's actually what I'm wearing right now. But <laughs> well, no, no. I I I I, I will have to agree with you. Mom, if you're listening, we do like teddy bears. We do like teddy bears, Mom. If you're listening. Sure. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> My mom collects so, them. <laughs> Don't say anything. Nick right. on the teddy bears. Oh, it's just, okay. it's just the teddy bears. Keith club. did not say anything negative no. about the teddy bears. I can assure it's you. Just a long right. But Hi, well, you know, yeah. But Juliana, you know, you know, art is is about expression. It's about interpretation. You know, I look at this piece, and to me, it speaks a collective cohesiveness, collaboration. It begins in nursing school. Uh, you know, we're frightened. We need each other. Gosh, we need each yeah. other desperately. A sounding board. We're all stressed out. And this carries through our um, our educational stint in, in college. But it desperately needs to continue in our profession. Absolutely. That's what it speaks. That's what is – that's what is – it's shouting at me. No, it's not shouting at me. It's actually a calm voice, really. But it, that's what I think of when I look at this piece. I love it. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, and it's This one sold quite quickly, and I'm proud to say it's on the other side of the country, and uh, a nurse bought it. So I was very, very pleased that it found its home that way. But thank you. Um, you know, that's the other lovely thing about making art is that you put it out there and whatever the artist is thinking when they're making it it's fascinating to me to hear how other people make the image their own by the associations they attach to it and so I, it's wonderful what what you're saying um kevin about the piece and, and i'm very flattered well you should go ahead keith i'm sorry what were you going to say no. I was going to say that you shouldn't be flattered because there's there's so much power. Well, I mean, you could be flattered; it's fine. But there's so much power <laughs> in your work. It's so it's so inherently. I well, I'm a former artist and art student, so there's so much texture and there's so much feeling, and the color is so deep and vibrant. And you know, I look at it and I see. You know, I, we don't like to be derivative, but I see Chagall and I see this kind of dreamy quality that yeah. I just love. And 
and also in your your writing at the same time is quite powerful as well. So you have this dual skill that you're putting out into the world and really communicating something quite quite powerful for all of us to take in. And I think it's a very important gift to all of us. And I wanted to ask you a quick question. It doesn't have to be quick, but we can take as long as we like. But you, you wrote to me and spoke to me about this issue or this notion, actually better said, of writing to the so what. And I asked you about what the so what meant. Could you explain that briefly to our listeners? Because I'd love to hear you describe it in your own words. Sure. You know, the writing, just quick history on it, the writing and the blog initially started for me, its purpose was to explain the artwork. Um, I was feeling for a while when I first started that the work wasn't strong enough and perhaps people weren't understanding what I was trying to say visually. And uh, was it Matisse? You might know this, Keith, if you're with your art background, but it was Matisse that said all artists should have their tongue cut out so we hmm. stop talking about it and we just make visual images and quit talking. Um, but I felt the, the compelled to write about what it was. And as I started a blog, absolutely not knowing what I was doing and, and kind of nervous about this whole putting it on the Internet thing, um, I kind of got caught up with all the stimulus out there on the internet, you know, the tweeting and the blogging and Facebook. And and I realized it, it was starting to sound like noise to me. And I and it's not because people, do, other people, don't have really good things to say. They do, and I and I get a lot of my information from my fellow bloggers and and other people and Twitter articles. But I think it's gotten so huge that it's really easy for the um, blogosphere, the Twitter, everything, to almost become like background music in an elevator. It, it it's becomes just noise. And so I think it's really important when I write that I don't let anything come out of either my computer or my studio that's... Um, just contributes to noise. It, it, I have to write to the so what. And if I'm putting words down, if I'm making an image, that's how I measure self-critique. So what? I, I put these words down. Why should anyone care about them? Why should I be contributing them to an already noisy universe? You know, is there any purpose in that at all? What is my so what? And um it, it just, it's a form of self-critique. Nothing should leave my studio or my computer, in my opinion, that, that doesn't say something and contribute to the overall conversation. And, um, and so that's kind of my measuring stick <laughs> before something goes out there. Wow. Well, thank you for... You had written me a little description of that, but I really appreciate hearing it more borne out in your verbal description. I appreciate that. It, it actually makes me think of the term, you know, the term logeria when someone has too much to say. That's great. And, I heard that one. <laughs> right. And one, once a, once upon a time, I wrote a blog post, God, I should dig it up, uh, called Bloggeria. 
and I think there was someone else who'd actually coined the term, and there might even be a blog called Bloggeria, and I've often Hilarious. thought about that notion of, okay, is uh, what I'm having to say useful? Is it really just, am I doing it as a marketing ploy, or am I doing it because I really have something to say? And and I wonder about that about our show as well. I always want to make sure our show is informative, make sure that our guests are interesting, and that we're that we're really contributing to the conversation and we're not just filling space. Exactly. I exactly. Think, you, oh, go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to say I come back each and every week, so I feel like it's informative. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. I'm so glad. <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm the lurker, and, yes, it is definitely very informative. Um, you know, personally, I, I wouldn't have agreed to do the show if, if it was just one big, long commercial. You know, that's it, not interesting. You know, I can turn on the TV for that if I want just one big. I mean, even the news nowadays. Have you noticed they they do the business section of the TV news, and it's all it is is advertising someone's business and. It's product um, placement. It <laughs> really is, and and I think you know, particularly for nurses, that we're trying to build our image, we're trying to promote ourselves professionally. The content is more important than the quantity, you know, it, it, if just a small piece gets out but and it's clear, it's a clear, lilting voice, it, it'll help. But as soon as you, we start just clamoring and uh, people shut that down, you know, it, it's just like when we try to change things and we do it by being argumentative and loud and noisy and, and using, you know, disrespect and, and poor language to push our point across rather than help someone understand our point of view and eventually people stop listening to you. You just become this hothead that that um, goes off in, in, in anger and, and any the same people you're trying to win over are going to just shut down on that. You know, if, if all we do as nurses is complain bitterly about how hard our jobs are. Well, who doesn't believe their job is hard, regardless of what they do for a living? No one wants to have to get up and depend on someone else for a paycheck, but that's how our society works. And if they just hear us complain and complain, one, you know, they're not sympathetic because they work hard too. But also, when we complain, we have to remember that the patients are hearing that we don't like taking care of them. And you're not going to win over the mainstream public if you make your customer feel that you can't stand taking care of them and, and doing what you need to do for them. And I think that holds our image back, too. We have to be very careful when we are looking at our so what as what is the overall impact it's making because it's very hard to take those words and images back once they're out there. I agree, Juliana, and I often tell people uh, when they're starting to write or create that it's you don't have to worry about the bells and whistles in the beginning and you know how how this looks. I mean, if the content is just purely amazing, it doesn't matter if it's just scribbled on a napkin. It doesn't matter what the canvas is. Right. Um, right. And right. you know, it just if, if these are powerful words or for, if it's a powerful visual, whatever that is. You know, the rest is just fluff. It's superfluous at that point. Just create. Exactly. And, you know, with that being said, 
kind of differentiating here, I wanted to, to shift into that and, and let you create some valuable content for our listeners. Is there a difference between therapy and art? Um, in my opinion, yes. Um, um, let's see. In my opinion, art as art takes, it begins with a question or an inquiry. And it doesn't necessarily answer a question or an inquiry, but it starts. The main thing to me that differentiates art as art from art as therapy is that art as art results in an insight of some sort. Even if the insight is, or the question I just asked is unanswerable, the the situation I'm investigating is unresolvable, if you come away even with just that much of an insight, um, you've achieved something. Artist therapy, it, it's a release. It doesn't require a question. It doesn't require any specific result on, at all. But if artist therapy also results in an insight of any kind, it can uh, raise it to the status of, of art as art. Um, certainly, we, we're all familiar with artists that come out of an art therapy background and and make beautiful work and you know it's sold in galleries and and doing very well i was watching a piece on the news the other night and i'm afraid i can't remember the man's name but um he was an autistic artist and had very poor verbal ability but made these astounding paintings i mean and they're selling in galleries and art shows and and he's doing a fabulous job in New York with this. And, you know, my husband said, okay, so where's the insight? Where's the insight in that? And I said, the insight is not, we don't know what his insights are because he doesn't have the verbal capacity to communicate that to us. But I can tell you by watching what he's doing, my insight is that there is a very rich thought life going on in that head of his. And although he can't communicate it verbally, you know, there's a universe of, of truth and, and imagery and, and amazing things going on there. And so the insight is created on my end, you know. I, I can't speak for him because he can't speak to me. But but there's insight there. And and uh, it was that's just one way where art therapy can be art, because art, fine art. But it doesn't need to be. Um you know, I, in, in Keith, again, if you've been to art school, you know what I'm talking about. You go in, uh, art. you know, art, artists, most of the ones that are making their living at it have master's degrees, and the ones that are teaching certainly have them at least. And they're very well-educated people for the most part nowadays, um, from educationally, academically speaking. There's a whole academia attached to making art and, and criticizing it and uh it's not easy to be an art student. You go in there, you bring in this piece you've been working on, you're feeling really good, your mom likes it, and, you know, the class will just tear it apart. <laughs> you know, there's too much blue. Why did you do that? You know, I don't understand it. And you have to defend your work. And, um, right. It takes What's with all the white thinking. uniforms? <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. What are you saying here? And yeah. it takes critical thinking. It's not just repetition of rote skills, just like strong nursing requires critical thinking, not just repetition of skills. Well, what a great point and what a great way to tie this all together with nursing and art and art students and, and all of that. Thank you for, for tying this all together so in such a lovely way. And now I wanted to ask you, following up on Kevin's question about 
art as therapy or or the relationship between the two. Have you ever offered or considered offering art workshops specifically for nurses? You know, the first time I even had that consideration was when you mentioned it in an email, Keith, and it never hmm. really occurred to me. Um, <laughs> I haven't, no. But it, it's certainly something that I would look towards um, at a future time. And right now, I, I'm blogging for the ONC Weekly and drawing a little illustration for them. They're the online um, nursing uh oncology nursing community online and I, I write for them weekly they're a great resource but resource by the way if you are a uh, an oncology nurse um onc.org and then um I, i've done some contributing for the american journal of nursing which um, i'm hoping to continue with and they're a great place too if people are looking for a place to start to write uh, if you go to their website they'll express um what they're looking for but no, you know, it, it it could be happen. There's I could I guess travel and do it. I could also do it here locally in Portland in my studio, I suppose. So you've given me kind of something to ponder and and uh ruminate on on what I'm gonna do with that. But you know, right now I've kinda of got my hands full with nursing and then creating art. I'm working on a series of work again in visual art and then writing. So it never occurred to me to tr- to teach someone else. Perhaps well, maybe <laughs> right. Well, maybe someday we can make that happen in Portland or up in Kevin's area in Boulder and here in Santa Fe. It's the third largest art market in the country, I believe, and we could bring you down here sometime. So we'll have to keep in touch about that and see how that develops yeah. for you. But I feel like there yeah. are nurses out there who are creative, who'd like to make art, whether it's related to nursing or not isn't really important, but I think nurses enjoy that creativity. They enjoy that ability to express themselves. And like Kevin said, our friend Carol Gino, who may or may not be listening right now, is also someone who champions that notion of nurses telling stories, whether it's about their profession or not. And it's nurses bringing that the mythical in and the magical and whatever it else it is that they would like to express. And it's really a wonderful way to bring those two worlds together. Oh, absolutely. You know, so much of what we do as nurses on the job requires permission. We need a doctor's order, you know, even to just simply hand out a Tylenol, you know, where anybody could go, any layperson go out in the street, buy a bottle of it and swallow the whole thing if they choose to. But, you know, we can't even hand out a simple Tylenol without permission, so to speak, as in the form of a doctor's order. And if you don't have some kind of outlet for your your soul, for your inner thoughts, I think it leads to a lot of burnout and unhappiness because, you know, nowadays people don't, even get recognition when they do something well. As a nurse, you only hear about your individual performance when you screw up and you made a med error or you did something wrong. Then you get the little note. Otherwise, it's a blanket uh, award. Every you know, Your whole unit gets thanked for whatever. All nurses get thanked on the same nursing day you know, for their service. And in the conformity that's required to do our job well can be very stressful for someone who strives to express themselves independently. Um, and, and nursing is difficult in that regard without creativity and some kind of endeavor to place that part of yourself into. Uh, agreed, Julie. And 
the thing is, is that going back to this piece that has drawn me in, and I have to admit, I just I recently saw the Van Gogh uh, exhibit at the Denver Art Museum. Uh, it was very mm-hmm. life changing, and I and I got to see his last piece before he died. And, uh, I, and yeah. I just stood yeah. there. I just stood there and was just pulled in, just as I am with with your uh, piece here as well. And you you talk about the recognition. We've talked about creativity, and 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 the recognition. And when we talk about the recognition and then the collaboration and the connectiveness here, the connectivity rather, um, Scrubs Magazine featured some of your art. Could you elaborate on on really what prompted that collaboration, that, uh, you know, connectivity there? I knew you were going to ask this, and I'm I'm trying to think about the most humble way to put it. because it, it was quite an honor to, to get to do that, and I was so thrilled with the opportunity they gave me to share a series of, of work. Um, but quite frankly, it came about because one of their editors contacted me by email and, and asked me if I'd be if I would consider publishing some of my work in their uh, magazine. And um, I, I was very fortunate to be offered that opportunity, but of course I jumped on it. Said absolutely, you know, it, it's fabulous publication. And uh, I, I think the the issue that my work was published in had a little article written by Garrison Keillor. It's like, oh my gosh, my work appeared in an art <laughs> magazine with an article by Garrison Keillor. <laughs> wow, it was pretty wild. So um, a nursing home yeah, companion. Yeah, exactly. It was like he was talking about nurses and how nice his nurses were to him when he was in the hospital. Oh, wonderful. But, um, yeah, so I was very fortunate um, to be approached for that opportunity. Well, we're actually very fortunate to have you here tonight, Julie, and we're also quite fortunate to have a wonderful blog post by you over at rnfmradio.com. If anyone hasn't read it yet, it's at rnfmradio.com, and it is the first post up on the blog at the moment. There'll be a new post up tomorrow morning, but right now Julie's is number one with her lovely photo there on our homepage, and it's called Why Nurses Need to Make Art. And I have to say, I think it's received more comments very positive comments, by the way, than any post in the history of our website. Wow. Wow, I'm honored. Because you've had some pretty amazing people on on your show. I, I've been well, really impressed with your guests. We can guests. add you so to I'm that flattered. list, Julie. You, you yeah. are one of those amazing guests. You are on that list now. Well, thank you. Thank you. I, I'm really, I, I'm very touched. I, I, I've, have been looking forward to this. It's been a great experience. Oh, it's been a thrill for us. And we want to invite you, Julie, to consider coming on the show again, maybe later this year or early in 2014 when you have maybe a new body of work or something you'd like to talk about or some new twist on what you're doing. And you're more than welcome to appear again. We've had several uh, guests come back on the show. And we'd also like to invite you to blog for us anytime if you have a new piece you'd like to feature or there's something you'd like to tell our our listeners and our readers, we welcome you. You could post on our blog every month if you like. So as often as you, you feel moved to interact with our community, you're more than welcome. Well, thank you so much, Keith. I, I definitely will be taking you up on that. I, it's been very, very uh, enjoyable and like I said earlier, you you guys really are so professional and you have this so organized 
um, it, it's been just a real treat to work with both of you. Oh, thank you. Well, you have a lovely night. So and Kevin, I want to let you say goodnight to Julie, too, and, and we'll talk to you soon. Yes, Julie. And again, I, with all sincerity, I am going to um, leave this tab open in my browser and just continue to have this piece speak to me. And then, of course, speaking of the blog post and Reddit, I just submitted your post to Reddit. And hopefully there's there's actually a nursing community over there on Reddit. And we'll see what kind of response we get over there. But we certainly want to share that with our community, our listeners, and mm -hmm. even those who don't listen or are part of our community and welcome them to RNFM. So anyway, I will um, certainly uh, take this opportunity to thank you again. And, of course, thank our listeners for listening to Juliana. And certainly we appreciate having you on the show and part of our dynamic guest list. So uh, I do wish you well and a good evening uh, here on RNFM. Thank you. Thanks, Julie. Have a great night. You too, guys. Thank you so much. Bye. All right. Well, Kev, that was that was really wonderful, and thank you to Tara, our wonderful intern, for tweeting out some of Juliana's images during the tweet chat. I think some people had an opportunity to see some of those images, and again, her website is at jparadisirn.com. It's P-A-R-A-D-I-S-I, jparadisirn.com, and there's wonderful images there and great writing. She is an excellent writer. I'm I'm just thrilled with her on on many levels and would love to have her on the show again maybe next year. Well, and think of, you know, going back to the percentages of men in nursing. I mean, really when it comes down to it as far as creativity is concerned, I mean, how many uh, creative individuals out there can can paint or draw and write and of course uh -huh. speak uh in a, an articulate manner and tell a story all right. at once. Exactly. And I want to add in the creative aspect of nursing care. You know, we talk about the art of nursing, and here Julie's making art about nursing, but I would assume very safely that she is an incredible nurse and that she has many skills that she brings to the bedside as well. So whether in conversation, in the studio, at her computer, or right there at the bedside, there's a lot of skill there, and there's there's so much to bring to bear. And I just, I'm really in awe. And Kevin, you mentioned that article about the number of male nurses, and you, you talked about it with Julie, and we did put that up on our Facebook page today because the, the number of male nurses is rising. And I'd be interested to see what the fallout from that is over the next, I don't know, five, ten years. You know, what, what does it mean to people that there's more nurses and more male nurses out there? I mean, what, what really does it mean? Oh, well, agreed. And, you know, even going back into earlier in the conversation when we were talking about some of those barriers and, and the uh, perceptions of nursing, I've even this is this is interesting. And I think, you know, I can discuss this comfortably as as a man who is in nursing. And I remember precepting uh, men, whether they were students or uh, they were new graduates or just new to the unit or the area. And they were always, not always, but often, it seemed like they were quick to make certain that I knew they were not gay. Mentioning hmm. a girlfriend or uh, a wife, you know, a female partner. 
um, you know, as, as they, as you know, and, and again, I, I wouldn't say that for every man, not, and I don't want to label them, but I, I remember earlier on in my career noticing that as I precepted some of these men, and you know, it, it's okay. I mean, I, quite frankly, I, I don't, you know, care where you fall in that uh, because I, I see you as a nurse, and that's part of us breaking down that male nurse peace. You're a nurse. Don't right. care about the stereotypes. Exactly. And you, you know, know, it makes me think right, it makes me think maybe we need to have a roundtable discussion about men and nursing here on the show. It might be a really interesting thing to delve into a little more deeply because it's always it seems like it's looked at on a rel- relatively superficial level in general. Well, Agreed. And I know two men who will definitely be at that roundtable when we have that. So I'm pretty sure that their schedules are clear for at least Monday evenings at uh, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And who are you referring to? (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you know, I mean, Keith and I will definitely welcome that opportunity. I think that is a great way to I think we should have an open discussion about that, because really what I do, I welcome any man. You know, if you're not a nurse, you want to be tough. You know, you want to you want to project this persona that you're tough and, you know, you can take it, become a nurse. Then, we'll, there you, you know, I, that's tough. That's tough. That's right. Yeah. So. And I, I have met some some male nurses in the armed forces as well. I interviewed one for an article I wrote for Working Nurse magazine in Southern California. And he was very articulate and a really interesting guy. And we might want to bring in someone like that, someone from the armed forces, because actually, I think this article that I was, that we were reading, it was CBS Baltimore, actually, I think they were mentioning that the percentage of nurses who are men in the armed forces is much greater than the percentage in the general population, which I think is very interesting. And I don't know how important that is, but I think it does say something about the place of, of, men and nurses in the armed forces and how important they are. But here in this, you, this, this census that was done shows that the number of male registered nurses in the United States grew from 2.7% in 1970 to what seems to me a very large percentage, 96 in 2011, much greater than I ever considered. Well, you know, do you think, Keith, going back to the armed forces, does that have to do something with autonomy? In, in that environment, because, you know, Juliana made a perfect point about giving someone Tylenol and being tethered to that order just to give some Tylenol. But, you know, oftentimes in, in the forces or, you know, in that setting, sometimes the autonomy is a little bit more broad and there seems to be a lot more trust with, with the skills and the ability of, of a nurse to perform. Right. I would wonder about that. That's something I'd actually like to learn about if say in battlefield medicine, if nurses have a slightly larger, broader scope of practice or a deeper, we might say, scope of practice, or if there are just more standing orders for nurses because in battlefield or or those really frontline military hospitals, there might not be time to get an order from a doc to, to give to give something. So there might be quite a bit more autonomy. And interestingly, Kevin, I'm reading this book. I just started, and you may have a copy on your bookshelf. I'm not sure if it was sent to you. It's I called do Nurse, have it. And it's called yes, Nurses I know what you're talking about. War. Yes, and it's uh, the story of 
it's actually stories by nurses, of nurses in the Iraq and Afghanistan wars. And I'm actually hoping to get in touch with the authors and have them on the show sometime this summer. So that could be really fascinating to talk about battlefield nursing, which is something very few of us probably think about or even know anything about whatsoever. Yeah, and, and I, I had this within arm's reach, literally, nurses in war, voices from Iraq and, if, and Afghanistan. And uh, right. yes. Yes. And you're you're currently reading that right now? Yeah, I I read the first chapter and a half or so. I was just finishing up another book, but that's kind of next on my nursing stack of books that keeps growing and uh it's just really fascinating and I'd like to dig into that and then contact the authors to get them on the show. I think so that's I a think, great idea. And I'll go ahead and read too because this was definitely this is why it was within arm's reach. It was on the top of my list to read next. So. All right. Well, great Great minds think alike, don't they? I'll start on that this evening. All right. Well, speaking of great minds, I'd like to mention a little bit about who's coming up in the coming weeks. Can I take a moment to do that? Take as long as you need to, Keith. All right. Well, sit back, relax, have a glass of wine. and No, I'll just do that. <laughs> but next week, we're very excited. On March 25th, of course, it's a Monday evening, we have members of the Rejuvenation Collaboration, including Coach Elizabeth Scala, who's been on our show several times before. And the Rejuvenation Collaboration is an online uh, program that lasts two weeks in April. And it involves a number of nurses, coaches, and nurse entrepreneurs and thought leaders in nursing. And it's all about a measured dose of self-care for nurses. And I'm happy to say that Kevin and I will both be presenting during the Rejuvenation Collaboration. And next week we will have Elizabeth and Kevin, correct me if I'm wrong, four or five of the presenters from the collaboration. Is that right? I believe we have five that are uh, they are posted on RNFM site on Blog Talk Radio. We have it over on a Google Plus page, on Facebook, and I believe it is five that has been confirmed. And that's Great. not including Elizabeth, I believe. Right, and yourself and and yours truly. So it should be quite a crowd. We'll be on Google Plus. We'll be on TweetChat. It's going to be very exciting, maybe a little chaotic. And we'll be talking a little bit about each presenter and also giving basically, I would say, a preview of what the Rejuvenation Collaboration is about. And what I want to tell our listeners is that this collaboration is been, has been approved for CEUs. You'll be getting free CEUs for listening to the collaboration and probably filling out some online forms for um, evaluation of the presentations. But we are offering CEUs. And it's going to be really incredible. So we really encourage you to to tune in. I'll be talking personally at the collaboration in April about how to light up other areas of your life other than nursing. So how to kind of break out of that identity of a nurse and bring in your other parts of your life that need a little little attention. So and how about you Kevin? Do you know what you're talking about that that week? Oh, it's of course we're going to touch a little bit on entrepreneurship and this is about a shift change, a shift in uh perceptions and you know how nurses see themselves some something similar you know kind of what you're talking about of course but we are flipping it over into the entrepreneurial aspect of what nurses can provide and so great that's just a little bit of just a little nugget it's broad but trust me it's going to be uh incredible and i wanted to add you know you're right keith it is going to be a little nuts 
next week on the show. It's going to be a party. Clothing optional because it's virtual, but if you're going to be on camera because we're going to be holding a Google Hangout, I would suggest at least putting something on top or at least having your webcam from the neck up. But like I said, okay. this is a virtual party that we're going to have here. Um, and I think we're all pretty excited. And certainly check out Elizabeth's video that I've tweeted out, Google+, Plus, shared it. Her smile, her energy is just infectious, the kind of infection that you want. Oh, yeah, it's going to be great. And, yeah, her video is hilarious. It's really it's really wonderful. <laughs> so we'll make sure we get that video back out on Twitter and Facebook a couple times more. And uh, I just wanted to mention that, you know, this rejuvenation collaboration is all about collaboration. And tomorrow there will be a post on rnfmradio.com about collaboration. But what I'm talking about is actually the notion of cross-pollination. And I see cross-pollination as collaboration on steroids. So watch for that very brief post tomorrow, and we'll be talking about collaboration. And now I realize we've digressed here. Next week we're having members of the Rejuvenation Collaboration, but I want to go on to a couple other guests before we say tonight. And uh, we got so excited. On April 1st, that's two weeks from tonight, we're having Camille Adair. She's a friend of mine here right in Santa Fe. She's a hospice expert, a filmmaker, and the founder of Fair Care, which is kind of like the the version it's kind of like the healthcare version of fair trade and we'll be talking about what that fair care certification means and how she's launching it here in New Mexico and eventually around the country and my wife and I are actually on her advisory board and we're involved in that training to bring fairness in terms of profits people and the planet to healthcare so that's April 1st, and on April 8th, we're, we actually were going to have Paris Leah, the senior online editor of Scrubs Magazine, and two of their online bloggers, but now I heard today that we're going to have Paris, two of the bloggers from Scrubs, as well as their print editor, Catherine. So it's going to be a Scrubs extravaganza on April 8th. We're very excited, and we'll have to talk with them a little bit about Juliana Paradisi and how they brought her to prominence in Scrubs of, I believe it was last year or the year before. And finally, April 15th, we'll have Margaret Erickson. I was just in touch with her today from the American Holistic Nurse Association and the American Holistic Nurse Credentialing Center. So that'll be really interesting, talking about holistic nursing and all of the credentials that are possible through those two organizations. So, Kev, I think that's enough in terms of upcoming guests. We waxed poetic about the Rejuvenation Collaboration. What about your coaching group? Oh, my coaching group. That is launching on April 4th. Thanks for reminding me. It is going to be a three-month group, and there will be four lucky nurses working with one another and with me, and it will be three group calls a month, 75-minute calls, plus each member of the group will have a call with me during that 90-day period, and it's an extremely affordable, and I'm really excited and about this and would love some more nurses to sign up for this group. If 12 noon um, mountain doesn't work, we can come up with other times or start a second group or even a third group. So please get in touch with me at nursekeep.com. Send me an email. We can even just have a chat on the phone just talking about the possibilities of group coaching. So, Kev, thanks for reminding me about that. And uh, I'm very excited about group coaching. Well, and I know, and that's why I wanted you to mention it. And uh, thank you. I also wanted to let you know that I am excited about this post, even though I could probably see it on the back end. I'm going to wait till it posts because it was interesting. I had recorded a video, and I, I even uploaded it today about cross-pollination, and, and it wasn't the, vi- the 
cross-pollination wasn't the subject matter of the video over on our uh, Innovative RN on the YouTube channel, but it was about emotion and is it running your business. And, of course, what I'm talking about is the negative emotion, reacting, uh, reacting negatively to certain situations. Passion is one thing, but the negative emotion that you can bring into your business and allow it to run your business could quickly put you out of business. And I mentioned cross-pollination as we do virtually because we have bridges that we cross over and over and over again. And those bridges become more abundant because of the technology available to us. And so um, and cross-pollination actually becomes easier uh, with that type of technology. And so I can't wait for that post. So when, it, it's, when it's up tomorrow, I'm definitely going to be re- reading it and promoting it. Oh, great. Thanks. It'll be posting automatically probably around 6 or 7 a.m. So it'll be up. It's not very long. It's kind of brief. It's just kind of a teaser. But we were discussing by email with Pat Bemis of the National Nurses and Business Association about collaboration. And that notion of cross-pollination came up. So I wanted to just bear that out a little bit more and, and talk about that that idea of cross-pollination. So anyway, Kevin, I'm going to say goodnight and just encourage people to go to uh, facebook.com slash rnfm radio and to find us on twitter at rnfm radio and of course check out our blog at rnfmradio.com and i'm of course at nursekeith.com you can find me in all of those platforms as nurse keith the nurse keith coaching and kevin you're at innovative nurse on facebook twitter google plus you name it you're yeah. out there Mm-hmm. So I wish everyone a wonderful night, a great week. Kevin, I'm going to let you have the last word and say good night from sunny Santa Fe. Good night. Well, good night, Keith. And, of course, to our listeners out there, we certainly want to thank you for tuning in to another episode of RNFM Radio, where we're working hard to bring you valuable content while creating a global exchange among nurses and other clinicians to bridge those gaps for our patients. As uh, we always hope that you are going to feel in some way uplifted, motivated, or ready for something that moves the needle for you. Find passion in your life and also with everything you create each and every day. Care for yourself while caring for others, and we look forward to having you back here with us again on RNFM Radio.